Welcome to This Girl Puts Out. I'm your host, Carm Macaretta, and I interview real women with real stories about real life stuff. I'm inviting you to laugh, cry, and connect with my guests as they share some of their most impactful life experiences, from their brightest moments to their darkest hours. For more stories and an opportunity to share your own, visit me at thisgirlputsout.com. Welcome, everybody, to episode 11 of This Girl Puts Out podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Michelle Anhang, and Michelle's coming to us live from Toronto. Michelle has a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from York University. She is a certified professional coactive coach and a professional certified life and leadership coach. uh, She is mental health first aid certified through the Mental Health Commission of Canada. She is trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction, and she's an active public speaker and educator. So we are very, very lucky to have such an educated and uh, smart and savvy woman with us today. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here, and we're going to be talking today about overcoming shame. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So why don't we just jump right in and start with telling us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) Sure. Um, So, well, thank you for that beautiful introduction. Uh, so yes, other than, than the, my, the professional work of, of being a coach, I'm also a mom of two sons. I, I want to say boys, but they're 21 and 18, so they probably wouldn't appreciate that much. Uh, they are now both in university and um, left me to empty nest which I'm kind of appreciating the space after a few months of quarantine. <laughs> yes, but that's a whole other podcast, mm. isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is, definitely. <laughs> There's no shame there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so, so tell us a little bit about, um, did you grow up in Toronto? I did, yes. Good. Born okay. and raised here. And um, yeah, lived here. well. Actually, lived lived in Vancouver, BC, mm-hmm. on the west coast for a few years, mm-hmm. but back home now. Mm-hmm. And you have family near you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your childhood, Michelle. What was that like? Oh, my childhood. Okay, let's let's go right into the shame. <laughs> <laughs> Capital S shame. There you go. <laughs> yeah, my childhood was was an interesting one. Um, my parents um, got married very young, um, as did I. But um, yeah, they were, um, my mother was 20, my dad was 23, and I popped out nine months later. <laughs> and so yeah, young, young parents, and um, I spent um, my life hearing things like, I wanted to go to law school, but I had you. Um, lots of other, you know, stories. I, I have younger siblings, um, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, being the oldest and I guess the girl, my my mother took a particular interest in me and in making sure that 
I um, fit her idea of the good good daughter and the good girl and all of that right down to, you know, and I, I was born in 71. I guess I'm, I'm telling everyone I'm 49. And, you know, in the 70s, I think we were past the point of trying to change children from being left-handed to right-handed, but not in my family. And, you know, that was, I think, the, the first recollection that I had of, you know, thinking, why can't you just love me for who I am? You know, thinking something, you know, that there was something wrong with me that, you know, I was broken in some way. Um, And, yeah, I mean, I I believe both of my parents have their own mental health challenges, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not aware of diagnoses, so I don't want to put my speculation out there. But, yeah, they they were not healthy. I mean, my, my... parents were both children of Holocaust survivors. So, you know, and born right after the war. Um, My mother um, grew up in, well, was in Hungary for the first five years, and then they left during the the revolution. So a lot of trauma, a lot of fear, um, you know, generational trauma. And so that was kind of, you know, the way that I was brought up of just, you know, the world is a scary place. Mm -hmm. And so I think my mother's way of, of keeping us all in line was to shame us and, and scare us Mm -hmm. so that we would do things her way and not, you know, I I think she thought that was how it would keep us safe, but it, it, it messed us up quite a bit. Sure. Sure. Um, it stands to, to reason that, the childhood she came from would certainly influence her parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, And she just trickled down that, that shame and gave it to you. It was, you know, you know, for me, the story was kind of like, just fly under the radar, stay small, stay quiet. No one will notice you. And then, then you're safe and you'll be left alone. Did your siblings experience the same, same thing or was it mostly targeted towards you? The brunt of it was targeted towards me, um, and we were spread out over 17 years. So, um, you know, my, my youngest sibling also um, experienced it in a different way, because I think as my parents aged, um, you know, my mother had him, um, she was close to 40. And I think, um, you know, as she, she got older, she got more fearful. And so her idea of protecting him was, you know, Mm-hmm. even in high school, having my father pick him up from the bus stop, you know, not letting him walk home, even mm-hmm. though, you know, he's a guy <laughs> yeah. walk the 10 minute walk home. But yeah. So um, shame is becoming a more common word, a more common thing that we talk about now. And I, you probably see in your clients, um, a lot of people that that have grown up in a shame driven or shame filled environment. Um, Why, why is that? Do you, do you have any, you know, from, from your education and from your experience, really talking to people and and treating them, what it just seems so, so common and it's so destructive. Yeah. Um, You know, I think, what I'm seeing is it comes from so many different sources because I know people who grew up with the most loving parents and yet might have had um, a babysitter or a caregiver or a teacher or a school bully 
um, that, you know, that made them feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. And that's where the shame came from. Um, I think it's a coping mechanism. I think, you know, just even looking at the way people address, you know, even now, like, you know, we, we have, um, you know, I think it's a way of controlling often of just, you know, I can, I can keep you small if you're not feeling good about yourself. Yeah, that's profound right there. Um, So I think, I think what, what you just said and, and, you know, what I'm realizing is that we, I, I had this question on here that says, are we a shame driven culture? And I think I just <laughs> answered it. I, I think we are. We are. And it comes from that drive to be better. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. From what with so many different angles yeah. too. Yeah. So how did shame affect you as you were, you know, getting older, you were um, becoming a, a young adult um, how did that, yeah. you know, manifest into your adulthood? Yeah. Very low to no self-esteem, very little self-worth, feeling undeserving of pretty much anything and everything. You know, I, I didn't, you know, the uh, complete opposite of the sense of entitlement. I was just like, oh, I should just be grateful for whatever I'm given um, because I probably don't deserve it anyways. Um playing small, Mm. um, you know, accepting less than I deserved. So, so many ways, you know, not, not dreaming, not ever thinking about what do I want to be? What do I want to do in life? What do I want for myself? Um, I never thought I had a right to ask that. So it was just kind of like, okay, if, you know, my mother would just tell me, yeah. She would tell me what to do. I mean, her, her favorite line was, I made, you know, I made all the mistakes, so I'm just going to tell you what to do and so you don't have to. And it's like, but what about living? And she's like, yeah, no, just just yeah, do you, it this way. You don't get that. Yeah. That's yeah. not for you. That's not an option. <laughs> Did you, um, surely you knew, you know, by the time you got through high school and into university that that you were different or that you had experienced a different a different upbringing yeah i i had a sense that something was off for sure you know and i remember talking to friends and saying like my family's crazy and they'd be like yeah my family's crazy too i'm like no no i think my family's like a different level (laughs) you don't get it yeah yeah it's like your family's awesome (laughs) but yeah i mean i i felt like i was bullied by my mother you know, that was the difference. Like, you know, lots of kids go to school and get bullied there. Mm-hmm. I went to school for reprieve from, yeah. from it. So yeah, felt very different. Yeah. So, so there's like a shame there, there can be like a one instance of shame in school where you're bullied, you know, and that can affect somebody, mm-hmm. but I'm just trying to picture what it would have been like to live and breathe that every single day totally different animal terrifying yeah Yeah. um i didn't have that sense of safety that kids Mm -hmm. need Mm -hmm. to grow up feeling healthy um i didn't have that safety net it was like you know when when your own parents are the ones that you know you're you know that are are doing that to you you know that you don't know you know, you're always on, on hyper, hyper alert and hyper vigilance and, 
you know, just wondering when is, you know, when's the next thing going to be said? And, you know, words can be so painful. So, yeah. So what kind of, you know, I mean, how does that bleed into, say, you know, a young girl who decides to get married? You know, when, when how did that affect your, your early years of marriage or, you know, your early years of being a mom? I mean, that, yeah, I'm sure you, you were trying to not repeat it. I mean, or were you even aware? I, I was aware to some extent, not to the extent that I am now. I mean, I, I married young. I was 22. We started dating at 18. He, you know, my husband loved me dearly. Um, he was so good to me. He, he saw what my parents were like. He came from a pretty loving home and, you know, wanted to protect me from them. Mm. Um, you know, sadly, as you know, I'm sure we'll get into, he, he had mental health, mental, serious mental illness. And, you know, we didn't know it at the time, but, you know, part of me wanting to get married so young, you know, first of all, that's what everyone was doing, but I also wanted to get out of my house. Mm. And, um, you know, with respect to with raising my kids, I basically like the guidebook for me was how was I raised? Okay. Do the complete opposite. Mm. And so that was really how I made my decisions. I'm just like, okay, you know, <laughs> see, like I want to do things differently. And, yeah. and I always wanted to be a mom and yeah. I knew, I knew what I needed and what I needed to hear. And so for me, raising my kids, it was so important to me that they understand they have choice, mm -hmm. that they feel like their opinion is, is important and that they're mm -hmm. valued and that they are valued just for who they are, not what they do or what they look like or who their friends are. Yeah. And so that was a very important, you know, I was very intentional with, with that, um, you know, but I'm sure if you ask them, they'll tell you numerous ways that I messed up. Because, she, was, well, she was crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, no, but we, we have a great relationship. Yes, so like, yes. you know, yes, in, in the heated moments, especially in the teenage years, you know, I heard a lot about what I did wrong. And I was oh, like, gosh. I get that. Like, who doesn't, right? And it's just my, like, okay. My son called me crazy today. So, <laughs> right. I'm just like, okay, you know, like, I think we all at some point feel like we need to go to therapy for, you know, what our parents did to us. And I'm just like, okay, maybe you'll have a little extra. I know I had a lot. <laughs> yeah. you know, varying degrees. It's part of the process. <laughs> That's it. Um, so, so it sounds like you had started to um, kind of realize that you know, you, you were conscious of the fact that shame had been, you know, uh, had ruled the environment you grew up in and that had, it had affected you and you were making an effort to not repeat that with your children. But you mentioned your husband's mental illness and that was something that you also, it, the shame back came back around yes, it did. when it came to that. Can you tell us a little bit yeah, more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, my husband didn't, wasn't diagnosed um, until we were um, in our, you know, just a little over 30. We were the same age. And um, yeah, his, his behavior started to become a little bit erratic. And I didn't want to tell anyone because it was just like, you know, part of me was like, oh no, this is, you know, history repeating itself and wondering is this somehow my fault? Because I, I always went to the place of like, 
Not even if it's my fault, how is this my fault? How could this be my fault? Um, so yeah, just thinking like, oh no, did, did I marry into, you know, basically my childhood home again? And, and he felt shame as well. Um, you know, we, we grew up, um, you know, in the same community. We knew each other since we were eight years old. And, it, you know, people didn't talk about mental illness. And so it was one of those things of just like, okay, we're just not going to tell anyone. Like, yes, he, he's not doing well. He's in bed. You know, we went to the doctor. But it was not something we shared publicly. And so, you know, we would leave the house and, you know, be all smiles and holding hands and the happy family. And, you know, but really we were just wearing masks because mm. things were really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and eventually he did get diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, um, a form of schizophrenia. Um, so, you know, he was having wild mood swings between depression and mania and the mania was where a lot of the erratic behavior came from. And, you know, some of it was, was pretty embarrassing. And, um, you know, so there's, there's more shame. He had, you know, was hearing voices and, you know, he, at one point, I think he was about 32, he, that's around the time when he got the diagnosis. And I think that gave him the permission to say like, okay, I, I'm really not doing well here. I'm trying to hold it together. And he just kind of let go. And he very quickly deteriorated from that point. But he, he had to stop working and he didn't want um, anyone to know that either. So we were, you know, pretending that he was going to work every day when he wasn't. So it was, it was a, always a lot of covering things up or cleaning things up. Yeah. Who, who supported you? I mean, how did you get through this time? If you're hiding it, I mean, who yeah. were you not hiding it from? Anybody? Yeah. Um, I had one friend at the time that, whose husband was going through his own challenges. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of we bonded over that, actually at a party um, where both of our husbands drank a lot more than everyone else's husbands and started talking about things, you know, very personal stuff that we were just in there like, Oh my God. And that was, yeah. <laughs> and that was really like, we were friends before, but that was the bonding moment of like, okay, what is going on here? So I, I had her and, um, when my husband got his diagnosis, I did, um, join a family support group, mm. but you know, it was such a dark time in my life and there was so much pain that I, I really like, I went every week, I sat in the chair, just started bawling my eyes out and, you know, got up two hours later, wiped my tears and went home. And that was, you know, for that period of time, it was, you know, maybe a year. Your kids were small too. I mean, yeah. trying to, to take care of them and yeah. mom and, help your husband. And so you didn't, you didn't get to, you didn't get to live for yourself. Oh, there was no, there was no dreaming. There was no, I want to do this or, you know, even time, time probably to, to go get a pedicure. No. Oh, that didn't even cross my mind. I was, I was really like, so when, when my husband passed, um, when he stopped working, I picked, I had to pick up a second job to keep us afloat. Um, and I say afloat, even though we were, we were sinking very quickly yeah. because part of the manic behavior involved, you know, spending a lot more money than we had. And so I was working two jobs. My 
you know, my baby was 18 months. My older one was all of four. And so, and I was taking, so yeah, I was full-time mom working full-time, then come home, work my night job, take care of my husband and, and manage and make sure he's getting to his appointments, taking his meds. So there, there was nothing other than survival mode and just get through the day. Wow. And so there was a, there was a moment where this all came to a head. Um, is it okay to ask you about that? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So what, what happened when all of this came to, to a point where it, it broke? Um, so my husband, um, shortly after his 35th birthday, um, died by suicide. And um, that was uh, so devastating. I, he never talked about wanting to die, wanting to leave, want, you know, wanting to hurt himself. Self. Um, so this just came out of left field and you know I it, it did in that sense but his behavior like he he was already in psychosis at this point he had lost touch with reality I had um, actually put him in the hospital a couple of weeks earlier because I was afraid he might hurt himself or somebody else accidentally mm-hmm. but I didn't think that that he um, he was going to die by suicide Wow. So, so how old are your, were your, your children? Uh, seven and four. And you chose not to tell people how your husband passed. Yeah. Yeah. As the family was gathering, um, you know, I, I went to tell my in-laws, they started making calls. I was making calls and mm-hmm. people were coming over and, um, you know, as the family was gathering, somebody turned to me and said, what are we going to tell people? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my default was, oh, yeah, yeah, this is something to be ashamed of. Like, you know, nobody's no, nobody knew about the mental illness. The suicide's not going to make sense. You know, am I going to get blamed for this? How might, and again, how might this be my fault? You know, did I manage his meds okay? Did I do enough? Did I miss something? And, you know, and then also, how do I tell my kids this happened? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I willingly agreed when they said, you know, let's say it was an accident. It was like, yeah, let's do that. And, you know, everybody in the room at the time when we said this is what we're going to tell people was just like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, it was almost like, of course. <laughs> and, you know, not that I blame them. I think they were trying to be supportive. But, it, you know, now looking back in irony, it's just, you know, wild how nobody thought maybe that's not a good idea. Let's think this through. Yeah. And, you know, we, you know, everybody just went to that place of like, yeah, that's that, that might be the easier route, which it was not. <laughs> that was the knee jerk. Stuff it, stuff it yeah. under. Yeah. Stuff it. Yes. Yeah. Push Again. it as far under the rug as you can. <laughs> right. Shame driven. Yes. Um, I'm sorry. Thank you. I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, so how did you, how did you finally, um, put your life back together and turn things around for you? Well, it was sadly not overnight. It took being in jobs that I didn't belong in, being in relationships that were, you know, with people who were as unhealthy as I was um, in their own, you know, special ways. Um, But, you know, when we're not healthy, we're not attracting healthy people. And, um, you know, tolerating a lot 
a lot in life because I, I just still had this mentality of, you know, not deserving more. And then here I am for all these years, you know, cause it was, it was close. It was over 10 years that I lied about his death. So, you know, I was already shame driven and then I'm just adding to it every single time I'm lying to someone and telling them that he died in an accident because I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't think of myself as a liar, but I must be one because I keep saying this to people and I can't just be honest about it and, you know, feeling crappy about it and then shaming myself for, for lying over and over. So, you know, it was, it was a very cruel way for me to choose to live. Um, and, and it just caused so much pain and, and really it just came to a head um, around my 45th birthday, mm-hmm. um, you know, realize you know there there were a few things that happened that you know again more shame more you know of the undeserving stuff and you know I just realized like I am in so much pain right now I can't live the next half of my life this way and that was really you know my motivation for going to to do therapy because I was just like I I don't know what I want because I never had the option to choose it um, or at least that's what I told myself. Yeah. And, um, and I, I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew I didn't want this. Mm-hmm. And I knew that the pain of healing was not going to be worse than the pain I was living in right now. And that was really for me the first time I ever made a commitment to myself to do something for me. Mm-hmm. So the, I think the human spirit can only take so much. You just couldn't. You couldn't do it anymore. And I think maybe, yeah, I could be wrong, but that wisdom that comes with getting older, you know, you were finally able yeah. to see that, well, I'm going to be here for another 50 years. I can't, I can't do this for another 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was also in a relationship with somebody that um, reminded, that had a lot of similar characteristics mm-hmm. to my mother. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big piece of it also. And I, I was doing some healing work during that time. But when I, you know, kind of realized like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm reliving my childhood so that I maybe can heal from it. But this is, this is too hard. This is yeah. too much. Like, I, I don't need to be with a replica of my mother <laughs> to, yeah. to heal from this. Right. Um, you know, and, and it, was, it was different than like, you know, while the other relationships were not particularly healthy, they were all with men who were very, very loving to me. They just might have had their own challenges and were not healthy people, but you know, I know they adored me. Yeah. And this particular relationship had me questioning it all the time mm-hmm. because of you know this person's just actions, ways of being, not you know being particularly committed to the relationship. So it, that kept pushing me down and making me feel worse and worse about myself. So um, one of the first things you did as part of your healing was a very important conversation you had with your boys. Yeah. That was actually, I think, one of the last things I did because first I had to do all my work. Yeah. Yeah, because I was not in a space to... to have that conversation but yeah a lot of therapy got me there so so you did a lot of therapy and did your interest in coaching come that time or later so great question because 
the coaching happened around the same time as, as that birthday. Mm-hmm. And I got into it because a very close friend of mine had become a coach. And I didn't even know what coaching was. You know, I just knew, okay, she's the coach. That sounds cool. <laughs> but no clue. And she kept saying to me, you need to take this course. I think, I think you're meant to be a coach. And I, I didn't know what coaching was. I never even thought to look it up, funny enough. But, you know, it, it was... You know, and I really, I just finally agreed because she was bugging so much, me so much. I was just like, oh my God, just to get you to get off my back, I'll take this stupid course. And she was like, it's great. And, you know, you can use so many of the tools in, you know, in your current work and blah, blah, blah. She sold me on and she's, she's good at that. <laughs> but um, so I went and did the course and, and that happened, yeah, just a couple of months after, after my birthday. And you know, I sat in the court, you know, in that class and it's like, you know, this, in this hotel room, a circle full of people like in this, in the boardroom. And, you know, I'm just looking around, they're talking about feelings and emotions and authenticity. And, and the best part was they put a sticker on everybody's arm with the word fail written on it. And you got stars every time you failed. So... (laughs) That sounds awful, (laughs) especially for you. Yes. So for me, it was like, oh my God, because yeah, I was such a perfectionist thinking like, okay, that's the only way I can avoid criticism and self-criticism is by always like looking perfect and being perfect and, you know, maintaining that illusion. And now suddenly, but at the same time, it was this amazing permission of like, I can fail and get celebrated for it. Like, where am I? Like, it, it was like, I was like a deer caught in headlights, but I loved it at the same time. And, you know, I went back for the next couple of days and I cried through the whole thing. Like the next yeah. two, the next two days, I just cried because it was like this relief and release of just like, wow, there are people out there who care, who, and care in a way of like, we care, about you and not what other people think and maintaining all this stuff and, and just talking about authenticity and you can be real. And it was so loving and accepting. And it was like, wow, I want this. And then at the very end, you know, the, everybody, you know, the instructors give their, their words of wisdom and inspiration. And one of the instructors said, don't just tolerate life. And that moment was like, boom, you know, the floodgates open. I'm sobbing because I realized like yeah. I'm tolerating everything. Yeah. There's like not one thing about my life that I'm not tolerating yeah. at this point. And um, yeah, so that, that was where the coach, and then it was just like, okay, I'm in. I love these yeah. people. Sold. I'm sold. <laughs> I'm sold. Yeah. Uh, I'm buying. Like, take all my money, take yep. everything, take yeah. me. <laughs> You had yes. a you had a spiritual awakening. I mean, oh, you really huge. did. You yes. did. It's amazing that the concept of being allowed to fail just wasn't yeah. in your dictionary at all. Wasn't no. in in you know your lexicon oh, at gosh. all. No, and the whole um, idea of just you know being okay of because of who you are. Like you don't yeah. have to do anything or prove anything. Yeah. That was so foreign to me. Yeah. Um, so did, did people notice a change in you? Um, yes, definitely. <laughs> and, and my friendship started shifting and evolving yeah. as well, um, as they do when we're going yeah. through personal growth of just, you know, 
I started distancing myself and letting go of the relationships that, that weighed me down Mm -hmm. where I, you know, that left me feeling not good about myself. Um, you know, that just, you know, were not in alignment with this new way that I wanted to live that just felt so true to me and so honest. And, and that was the piece of just like, okay, you know, to be my authentic self, like, yes, I can be real and I can express my emotions and not be called too sensitive and to be, you know, yeah. and, and all of that. And then, then it was just like, okay, you know what, if I'm being authentic, I've got, and being truthful, then I have to go and tell my kids the truth. So this was your, this was your coming out party when yes. you decided to let go of, of the, the lie you had been holding for many years. Um, yeah. And you chose to come out in front of your kids. So um, what did that feel like? Well, what did you do? Yeah. Or what did you say? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I was, I was terrified to do it. Like I knew it was the right thing. And I was so scared that they might never speak to me again, that they're going to hate me that, you know, my, my fear went to like all the worst case scenarios. <laughs> and, um, and that was the, I was so, I could not have been more wrong. And, you know, I, I really, I called them up for dinner. It was planned. Like I had, you know, at this point I knew the importance of having support. So I had, you know, a group of, of people that I loved and cared about, you know, consult, you know, talk to me before, build me up, like you can do this. You know? And, and I did, and I called them up for dinner and I just said, you know, there's, there's something I need to tell you guys about, you know, your dad that I haven't told you before. And, um, I said, you know, I wish we had done things differently, but you know, this, this is how he died. And I want you to know the truth now. And I, I mm-hmm. wish I had been honest from, from the beginning, but you know, we, we didn't know how to deal with it and the shame. And my kids both said the same thing. We wish we had known from the beginning, but we understand why you made the choice you did. And it just, it opened up a beautiful conversation, um, you know, like, like you'd see in the movies, like I'm sitting here with two teenage boys and yeah. they're both holding my hands you know, at the table and, and we're oh, just having this I have awesome, just picture yeah, it was, you know, I still like, I, I'm, I, you know, get a little teary thinking about it because yeah. that was, you know, while we had a good relationship before, Mm-hmm. there was always a bit of a wall because I was holding this huge secret and, mm-hmm. and this really broke down the walls um, and, and opened up this new and beautiful way of being with them. And, you know, I promised them, I was like, I will, I will answer any question that you have. Mm-hmm. And I promise no more secrets. I don't want to live that way anymore. Yeah. And, and they've been my biggest supporters and cheerleaders, you know, since then. That's wonderful. Um, you raised two loving souls, despite despite all the shame, despite everything you had been through. You clearly raised two two very um, loving people. So you did that. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so, did you grieve the the years that that you lost? I mean, there was a lot of years. Um, yeah. Did you, did you grieve them? Did you say goodbye to them? Did you, I don't know, you don't live in regret. I know that. Yeah. But um, how did you deal with that? I, I went, I went through a very intentional grieving process. 
um, you know, and this was part of the, the therapy work that I did. I knew that I had been holding in way too many emotions for way too many years. And, um, you know, and I'd always held it in because I thought if once I open it, open it, that's it. You know, I'm never going to stop crying. And, you know, my therapist was like, no, that doesn't happen. (laughs) And I still like over, you know, a few months, I was like, are you sure it's going to stop? Because really I cried once I let it happen and I let it grieve, you know, let myself grieve and grieve every grieve my childhood that I wanted that I didn't have grieving you know the the lost years without my husband grieving his illness you know grieving so much of my life that I didn't live like there were so many elements of it and I cried every day for eight months and you know and and it was it was intentional in the sense of like you know I was working with a therapist and I told my kids too I said listen I'm gonna be a mess for a while you know and and it's okay I need to heal this so don't worry about me if you're seeing me crying all the time. And I didn't even realize at that point how much I was going to be crying. But it was like, once I let it out, it was like, literally like, you know, I'd be at work and, and typing away at my computer and suddenly I'd feel the tears come up and I'd go into the bathroom and cry for 20 minutes, you know, reapply my makeup, go back to my desk, type away, and then, you know, come home at night and and just cry all evening. And and it was eight months of of just letting myself talk through all that stuff, grieve grieve it, work through it. And then yes, one day I just didn't need to cry anymore. Yeah. So that really speaks to the benefit of getting help and you know, yeah. uh, when you're going through something like that. Yeah. I mean you can't get through that kind of thing alone. You can't, you need help. No. You need, you need a professional. And yes. um, so that speaks volumes. Um, so now you are on the other side officially. Yeah. You are healthy. Yeah. You are happy. Yeah. And you are a coach now and you're helping other people, which yeah is awesome. It's the ultimate pay it forward when you decide to do it as a job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's so meaningful to me. Yeah. And, and I love every day that, uh, you know, and every client that I have the privilege to work with. Yeah. Um, do you have a specialty within your coaching practice? Is there, uh, you know, particular subjects or things you, you are um, specializing in? Yeah, um, I work um, with families and individuals living with mental health challenges and moving forward after loss. So taking what, you know, I've learned in, in my life experience um, and knowing the support that people need um, and don't often get um, Mm -hmm. because they're afraid to ask for the help because of their own shame. So, um, you know, for me, there's, there's nothing more important than helping others that, that are in that situation. And most of the clients who come to me um, come because they know I've had that experience and feel the sense of relief of like, you get it. Yeah. You know, because there, there are so many, so many emotions that come with it in, in addition to the shame. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we all have our different experiences and different stories that just, you know, that it's that connection that we have of like, yeah, you've been in that really dark place too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and knowing that I've, I'm now in, in this light 
space, you know, gives them the hope that they can get there too. And, you know, that's always my hope. Oh, it's just wonderful what, what you're doing. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you're, you're in a good place and you're sharing, you're sharing your talent, your experience to be so open and honest about a terrible time, you know, a, a tragedy. And um, so congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm going to ask you, um, how, how does someone know they need a coach versus um, like psychotherapy? Mm. Um, I didn't, I, you know, we didn't, I didn't tell you I was yeah. going to ask you this. It just kind of came up. <laughs> That's okay. And I'm happy you asked because I'm happy to clarify it. Thank you. Um, so we all have, we have different training and I, I, you know, know that, you know, psychotherapists and counselors and social workers and psychologists all have different training as well. Yes, um, so, you know, I can't speak to their individual specialties and abilities, but essentially, um, the way I describe it is therapy looks at where are you today and what got you here. So, you know, in my example, it was, you know, the stories that I developed about what life should look like or how to stay safe, how to be happy. Um, you know, all the self-limiting beliefs that I had, those I worked through in therapy. So, and there was a lot of healing that happens in therapy coaching looks at where are you today and where do you want to be and and it's very much around um you know it focuses both on action and, and doing but also how you want to be so how do you want to show up in the world from a place of intention and and forward focused so um you know it's I kind of liken it to being on, on a, like standing on the landing and looking up at a staircase. And so, you know, in therapy or, you know, counseling, you're okay to stay on that landing as long as you need to. There's no, no need to move, you know, do what you need to do in whatever timeline you need to do it. And you're Coaching, looking behind actually. Yes. And you're looking behind. Yeah. And thank you. That's a, that's a great point. And, and coaching is, the idea is to get you to that top of the staircase. That's where you want to be. And so, yes, it's always at the client's pace, but the goal is always to be moving you forward. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we might go up one step at a time or two steps up, maybe one step back. There is a little bit of looking at the past because often, you know, we have our, our inner critics, our, you know, the self-limiting beliefs that sometimes hold us back from where we want to be. So we'll touch on like, okay, where did that story come from? Oh, it was three-year-old you who made that decision. You mm -hmm. still need her to run the show, <laughs> that kind of thing. But then we're moving past it and saying, okay, what's gotcha. the new story you want to create? Right. And, uh, and there's homework or accountability in coaching yeah. as well, so that you're still moving forward, even in between sessions. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also one other thing that's important is in coaching, particularly coactive coaching, how I work, the client is the expert, they know themselves the best. So I'm looking to empower my clients looking to them to tap into their inner wisdom rather than me being the person who's, who's healing them and advising them and, and doing that. I'm really just, I'm asking a lot of questions that you might not be asking yourself to see things in a different way. 
Very, very good um, explanation. I feel well educated on those differences now. Thank you. <laughs> so do you work with clients in the US as well as Canada? I do. I actually, I only have a few clients in Canada. The majority of my clients are, mm-hmm. are in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I work with anybody anywhere in the world. Most of the work that I do is on the phone yeah. or on Zoom or Skype. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm easy to reach. And if somebody listening is interested in reaching you, um, your website is and I'm going to spell it, michelleonhungcoaching.com, correct? Yes. Okay, and so it's all lowercase, all one word, michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-A-N-H-A-N-G, coaching.com. Yes. Excellent. Um, so yes, please, listeners, feel free to reach out to this wonderful, insightful, beautiful woman who I feel so privileged to have met and who is so gracious with, with her heart in opening up to me and to everybody listening. Um, Michelle, before you go, what, what are you most proud of? Mm, such a good question. I'm like, now I'm like, I don't know which one do I pick. <laughs> you have a lot. I, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm proud of having a lot. Um, and maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's going to be my answer. I am proud that I have a lot to be proud of. I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of, you know, who I am as a mom, as a coach, as a friend. You know, it, yeah, I, I, I have a lot that I'm proud of and grateful for. That's a great answer. I'm privileged to know you. Thank you so much. And this is This Girl Puts Out, episode number 11, signing off. And Michelle, just hang on one second with me. All right, listeners, take care. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And for more stories about real-life women, visit thisgirlputsout.com. Thank you.